There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bring, bring it bring it to the bank. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, everybody. My name's Thomas Barb. I'm the editor of WallsBlog.com, a fan site dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Uh, if you'd like to get me on Twitter, you can do so uh, at WallsBlog or obviously at the website itself at WallsBlog.com. Hello, my name is John McKenzie. I am the founder of All Stats, Aren't We?, a Leeds United uh, media outlet that focuses on the tactics and the stats behind Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds United. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at John underscore McKenzie. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys, so that I don't have to think about Tottenham. We'll be mostly talking about Wolves and Leeds to distract myself. But first, we'll start off by talking about Leicester. Uh, Obviously, last season, there were long stretches where it felt like they were certain to get a Champions League spot, and then they fell out right at the end of the season after the the restart um, happened, after the the season went on pause because of the pandemic. This season, similarly, long stretches where it seemed a foregone conclusion that Leicester would finish in the top four. But now two losses that they did show a little bit of resilience in the back end of that match. But two consecutive league losses. They've still got significant injuries. They have players breaking protocols and being left out of the squad because of it. A difficult remaining schedule. I'm just curious to hear from you guys if you think Leicester are on their way to a second straight year of kind of slipping out the back door instead of making the Champions League. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a coin toss for me with Leicester. Um, I think they've got some winnable games coming up against West Brom and Palace, which are kind of dream fixtures. So I think at home they'd, they'd fancy their chances of winning them. Uh, I don't think they're going to finish above Chelsea. Um, they've still got to play Chelsea. They've also got to play Tottenham and Man United, which are their last three fixtures. So that's going to be very tough. So I think that the short-term objective for them over the next four games is to get enough points, probably nine or ten points minimum, to stay in there. And then it's just a case of seeing what they can muster over those those three final games. But I think Chelsea are going to overhaul them. So then it's like a case of a, a West Ham, who, who are going incredibly well, and, and Liverpool, who look like they might just be able to pick up the pace just in time to do it. I don't think Tottenham and Everton are going to do it. So I think it's uh, probably going to be Chelsea, and then it's one of West Ham, Liverpool and Leicester. And... You know, Ian Acho is firing for, for Leicester, which is a big plus for them. But without Harvey Barnes and then, you know, Madison's not really up to up to speed. I think they're going to have a... I'm leaning more towards no than yes, which would be a shame because I think Brendan Rodgers done a great job. And I just think he's been let down a bit by, by injuries to key players at, at bad times in the season. I think with the whole Leicester situation, it, you have to look at it in the context in which it, these things have unfolded in the last few seasons. Mm. As Thomas is saying, you know, so much of this comes down to injuries. Um, it also comes down to the fact that if you look at the, the season as a whole, it's a bit of an outlier season, really. Like, when have we seen clubs with the squads of Liverpool and Chelsea and Spurs and Arsenal even um, outside of the top four? Um, and 
I think Leicester sort of get judged on the fact that they spend most of the season in the top four and then they drop away at the end when things like injuries sort of kibosh their their progress. So it, it, it's it maybe a little bit harsh to um, judge Brendan Rodgers on, on that basis. I, I see a lot of people on social media, maybe tongue in cheek though, but talking about um, Brendan Rodgers bottling it again at the end of the season. And uh, I just think that when you consider Leicester City and um, what the resources that they have available to them. It's remarkable that they're even in this race in the first place. But in terms of looking at the end of the season, I'm I'm with Thomas, I think. It's, it's a question of whether or not those two clubs, Leicester and West Ham, can keep their heads above Chelsea and Liverpool. Um, and uh, yeah, that Leicester run-in at the end of the season looks absolutely brutal um, with with fixtures against Manchester United, Chelsea, and I think it's Spurs. Um, that's not a nice run for for uh, any any club to have to go through. Um, I, I guess by the final day of the season, um, Spurs may maybe <laughs> not trying so hard. Um, but uh, yeah, beyond that, I would also mention maybe the FA Cup. Um, Leicester have a semi-final against um, Southampton coming up, uh, which they would probably hope to win and will probably take a, a huge amount of their um, uh, focus before going into this final run of the season. So I think those things um, will add up to, to Leicester probably dropping out. And um, I think it will be interesting to see how West Ham get on, whether or not they can stay there or whether or not they just do get overtaken by those juggernauts in Chelsea and Liverpool. Yeah, I, I know you said the Tottenham won't have anything to fight for, but somebody's got to get that conference league spot. Um, <laughs> uh, I think, interestingly, Newcastle as well, added to that list, is an interesting one because they're probably still going to be fighting for survival. Although after this weekend, you know, it could be the the beginning of a Newcastle heading one direction and, and Foam heading another one. But even if Tottenham might not be fighting for stuff, Newcastle might still be there as well. So as a quartet of the last four, especially since, you know, they're going to have Wilson and they they're just now getting St. Maximum back. That's probably one that could end up being a little bit tricky for them as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think probably not. And I'd feel so bad for Jim who comes on the show and, uh, well, actually, Leicester fans have had plenty of joy. I don't know how bad I could feel, but it would certainly would be disappointing for them two years in a row. And, and John, I think you make an excellent point about the perception of Rodgers, considering it happened at Liverpool, happened last year at Leicester, and now it might happen a third year um, for him, where his team were in a really strong position and then missed out on whatever their objective was at the end of the year. But yeah, the last two years feel a little bit more like insinuating circumstances. But when you add all of that up, at a, at a certain point, it feels like public perception becomes real if that makes sense where after it's happened to you three times then do you start fiddling with things that don't need to be fiddled with because you're trying to avoid it a fourth time if he's ever in that kind of situation again but yeah on the whole I, I would not be super optimistic if I was a Leicester fan at the moment uh, both of you kind of touched on Brendan Rodgers uh, aspects here do you think he's just been hard done by by like the injuries or his players being irresponsible and stuff like that and, and like you said you know maybe just overachieving with what he actually has yeah, yeah, I, I do. I think that's exactly it. Um, I, th I think he's he's done. He's got them into such great positions that you know that that creates expectancy that they're going to see that through and and finish strongly. But it, it doesn't always pan out that way. Um, and yeah, I think if he'd had his full squad all season, there's no doubt in my mind that they'd, they'd finish in the top four because I think they've got a lot of really talented footballers there. Um, you know, and, and I think it's. It's very unkind to sort of say he's bottled it in other seasons. I mean, last year they got properly decimated by injury. And Liverpool, let's be honest, they 
they didn't see it through because Steven Gerrard tripped over his own shoelaces on the halfway line against Chelsea, you know. So it's I don't I don't I don't think he deserves a you know bad reputation. I think I've said before when we've we've talked about coaches that for me he is the manager with the highest level of stock in terms of what he's been able to achieve with the resources he has available. Um the coaches in and around him, with the exception of David Moyes this season, of course are all probably around where they should be or below where they should be. So um, I still think he's, he's, you know, one of the strongest coaches in the league. And certainly if he was not at Leicester and he was available, I'd be absolutely desperate to get him at Wolves because I like the way he sets his teams up. Um, you know, he, he's associated with attractive football. And um, yeah, I just think it's, it's been a great fit for Leicester. And I think whatever happens this season, that you know, they should be fine tooth and nail to keep him because I think eventually there will be a big job and, and someone will have the good sense to be to be looking at him for, you know, that position. Yeah, and again, I would say context comes into this. That a coach like Brendan Rodgers is brought into clubs for a very specific purpose. And that purpose is usually that you want a guy who's going to, uh, get get uh, a core group of players, maybe who you've you realise that you you don't have the deepest squad. Um, he'll pr- bring those guys together and he'll develop a tactic for them, and uh, they'll be very well drilled in that tactic. And you know, you look at the clubs that he's been. I mean, even with the even even looking at a club like Liverpool, um, a, a club that on paper you would expect to be up there in the top four. When he arrived at Liverpool, he was very much doing a, a sort of Inter, interim job in the sense that he was having to make that side um, functional uh, again after after a few years of, of not being there. Same is true of, of of Celtic, and he obviously had uh, that um, he, he had the, um, the the experience of of taking that that sort of side who. For, for, for a very long time had had sort of stumbled around a little bit and and had been in in i guess long battles with with rangers and he really professionalized them and you know they they're they're almost 10 in a row um a lot of that came down to to him as well um just sort of professionalizing a club and making a club function and work and same is true of his time at leicester i think you know after use after leicester win the league and you have um you have Claudio Ranieri leaving, and and then the club sort of wanders around a little bit, not sure about what about itself. He comes in and again gets them on course, and so I think a lot of people underestimate just what the extent to what he does is, because um, so much of it is about actually just getting the the clubs that he's at to a certain level, and and usually on a shoestring budget with with not the biggest squads. And um, I think it's really remarkable what he does. I think he'll be in a lot of demand. By clubs around um, around the world, when he finally decides to leave Leicester, and uh, I think that's uh, I think that's fair enough. I think it's right rightly so that it should be the case. Mm. And I think that's far more likely to be sooner rather than later if they miss out on Champions League again. You'd imagine if he makes Champions League with them, he would stay for that campaign. Um, all right, we'll kind of keep the managerial conversation going here. Uh, there was a big conversation happening after the big week that Real Madrid just had, obviously beating Liverpool and then also uh, winning in the El Clasico, that the Zidane isn't getting the praise that he deserves because he isn't a, a manager with an overarching ethos or philosophy. He's more of a match-by-match manager. And so it's just kind of kicked up this whole conversation about which is better if one necessarily is. Uh, so I was just curious from your guys' point of view, do you view... Uh, one is more particularly more effective than the other. Uh, yeah, I think it's important that you that you have a way of playing um, that's consistent. You know, I think the top managers, if you look at the, you know, you can identify Jurgen Klopp team, you can identify a Pep Guardiola team. I think you know, continuing our talk about Brendan Rodgers, I think you can identify a 
and Brendan Rodgers' team, you know, you, you know how they're going to set up, what they're going, how they're going to play, um, and I think that is is the most important ingredient because that's what you're working on the training pitch. You know, your shape, your pattern of play, um, and I think those are the calling cards of a of a good team who can consistently go out and deliver a level of performance. Um, I think after that, you layer on adjustments for taking on different teams, and I think that's what Pep Guardiola's doing a lot more of this season. Um, I think he's adapting to the opposition more. He's always done it, but I think he's more defensively minded this season. I think that's, so I think that's, that's where you're seeing the, the importance of that, not just relying on the fact that you've got better players and you can outdo teams, score more goals, uh, be more aware. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think to answer your question, I think the most important thing is having a philosophy, is having a consistent style of play, uh, but then also having the versatility within games to, to change, to, to, to nullify the opposition. I think there were some managers, for instance, Mourinho, who, you know, their their philosophy is nullifying other teams and they'll, you know, they'll that's how they go into games, probably with a greater focus on how the other team is going to play than, than what they're going to do with the ball themselves. So, um, you know, but it, it's an interesting conversation. And, and I think, it, you know, it, there's no doubt in my mind that Zidane doesn't get the credit he deserves because, he, you know, look at the trophies that he's won. And also at the moment with Real Madrid, you know, that's definitely a, a transitional team he's working with. And to have them towards the top of the league are okay. They're only really duking it out with Atletico Madrid and Barcelona. And they haven't really been any better or worse than any of those teams. Um, but they're up there and he's, he's doing a decent job. And, you know, he's beaten Liverpool in the Champions League. Well, it looks like he's going to beat them. And, uh, you know, they could go far in the, in the Champions League again. So um, I, do, I do think he's an underrated manager. Yeah, the question of philosophy versus you know match by match tactics is an interesting one as a Leeds fan because we've got Marcelo Bielsa who is touted as being probably one of the most idealistic managers mm. in football um but this this season's been kind of weird because it, I was saying to some of my friends today it's almost as though we we played really flamboyant football to get to safety and it feels now we're sort of playing stodgy football to try and drag our way up to the uh, to, towards the top of the table. Um, there was definitely that the watershed moment, I think, which was the 6-2 loss to Manchester United, um, you know, midway through the season. And there's been lots of questions amongst, uh, I, I guess, the media and, and but also the wider Leeds community about what impact that that game had on the way that Leeds have been playing. And as I see it, Leeds actually are a lot more pragmatic than they were before that game happened and we've we've even just sort of changed the tactic that we've been playing in in recent uh, recent months just to reflect that i think and so i i, I suppose what i'm what i'm um, trying to say is that you you can have these the, these sort of dichotomies between you know a philosophy a philosophy heavy coach and then a, a sort of pragmatist in in that sense and um i suppose the the reality will always sort of fall one way or the other and um I, I guess with with managers like Marcelo Bielsa and uh, and also Brendan Rodgers to bring it back to that discussion, so much of it comes down to you know what are the resources available to them? Can those can either of those managers sort of sit down and say, say right next season, these are the players 
I want um, who are going to be elite players who are just going to sort out problems that we have. And obviously the answer to that is probably no. And so the the question then becomes is 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 how do you you sort of find those va- that value in the market and uh, use you know whatever means that you can to get those marginal gains in order to to be able to sort your squad out slowly. And but we've had Marcelo Bielsa for three seasons now. Uh, going into a fourth, we're still we've still got players in our squad who are middling championship players and uh, obviously it's a testament to his scouting uh, coaching ability sorry to to be able to get those players playing to that level but I guess you know if you were to compare someone like um, Marcelo Bielsa with someone like as in Zidane as the as the question hints at Zidane has a, a very different sort of uh, I think managerial um, injunction he has to get these players who are all elite players playing together he has to manage uh, a group of guys who are elite footballers. And so um, I, I guess you will have man management issues coming through there. And I think the, the reason why someone like Zidane has done quite well at Real Madrid isn't because I think he's a, a tactical genius, because I don't think he is. As, as Thomas was saying, you know, you don't watch that Madrid side play at the top of La Liga and, and think that they're playing any better than uh, Barcelona or Atletico Madrid. I mean, Atletico Madrid obviously were miles ahead um, and and Barcelona looked a bit of a mess. Um, and, you know, a lot of it just, I think, of that league does come down to who's got the, could get the most out of those elite players in the final run into the season. And I think Zidane is on that other side of things, right? He He's able to bring the group together, get those players playing playing well together in a man management sense, whereas someone like Marcelo Bielsa and Brendan Rodgers, they are, they are very much using coaching and and tactics to to be able to get that edge over over other coaches in the premier league so yeah i think it's 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 a really interesting question and um being a, a an advocate of marcelo bielsa i will probably always fall on that sort of overarching philosophy but i do think as i said that he is quite pragmatic he does have that capacity to be able to say actually these are the way this is the way that i would really like to play but with this squad i can't play that way in the premier league so i am going to have to temper my ideals slightly yeah i think those are all really good points on bielsa uh curious on your side thomas of of how things like this are, are handled at your club if it is more philosophy based if it is more match by match and how that's gone well, previously under the new now, it's been absolutely rigid. You know, it's uh, it's been three at the back. It's been defence-minded. Um, it's been counter-attacking, you know, hitting teams on the transitions with fast players. Um, what he's tried to do this season is evolve, um, offer more variety, still with the, the fundamentals of, of, of being difficult to beat. But I think he's found it challenging. Um, I think he's found it very difficult to to be more adventurous, to have more possession, get higher up the pitch w- without losing the fundamentals. And I think that's what we're, that's where we're at with Nuno. Why it's a difficult moment for him because when we, we went through a really bad run, um, you know, at the end of last year, and it looked like we were going to get sucked right into the relegation scrap. And he went back to a back three and we grinded out some results uh, against Arsenal and Leeds and Southampton in very tight games, which were very much Wolves calling card of success over the you know the previous two seasons so I think uh, yeah in, in the past it's worked very well having a manager who had a very clear idea about how he wanted to play he wasn't going to change whether we were playing the team at the top or the bottom it was always going to be the same formation it was always going to be the same way we were going to play we were going to generally let the, the team have the ball um, and wait for those moments to to strike um, this season as I say 
he's come away from that and he's suffered as a consequence. We're going into games now. We don't know whether we'll play a back four or a back three, which is good in a sense because it makes us more unpredictable and difficult to second guess. But equally, because we haven't had that consistency, we haven't had the consistent level of performances and, and the team suffered. Um, but, you know, but ultimately it's the same as it is for, uh, for Leicester. I mean, they've tried different solutions since Barnes and, um, you know, uh, Madison have been out. Ian Acho's come into the team and started playing two up front. Um, you know, so they've changed the way, you know, because the players you have available ultimately dictate how you want to play. Uh, I think if Wolves had had Raul Jimenez fit all season, we would have probably persisted with the back three for more of this, you know, more of the season because you can fall back on his goals and know that, you know, you're going to win more games uh, with him in the team. But because we haven't had that, we he's had to adjust. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, my my personal thought is, you know, that next season we need to go back to what we've we've done so well previously, but just we've got to have the, you know, attacking players to do that. And um, the one thing we haven't talked about is is personnel, you know, because that it doesn't matter whether you've got a philosophy or you're tactically astute. Ultimately, there's no argument to say that the teams with the best players generally win, you know. So it's uh, <laughs> those things trump everything in a sense, don't they? Um, so you know. And I think that, you know, Wolves are a prime example of that because I think if we kept Diogo Jota and we'd had Raul Jimenez fit, we'd be in the top half. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter how we played, but we didn't have them. Um, you know, and we're in the bottom half. And, you know, part of me thinks we're quite lucky to have um, to have stayed in the Premier League given how few goals we've scored. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, as I say, I, I still maintain that if you've got a, a, a club and a team who is very clear how they're playing and they know what they want to do game in, game out, then that, normally is the way to have success yeah i think it's a pretty good point that just if you have better players more often than not you're probably going to win uh also thought that you made a good point thomas when you talked about how some managers philosophies are to try to mitigate the other teams and i think um we've seen the the bad side of that with Mourinho of late at, at tottenham where he he was quoted back when he was at real madrid about um, in the middle of that whole tiki-taka, if you have more possession, you automatically win the game thought that was uh, very pervasive in football, that his thought was he didn't want to have the ball, that when you have the ball, you're the one that's able to make mistakes. But little did he know, Tottenham still very capable of making mistakes without the ball. Um, but yeah, an interesting example where I think people think of Mourinho as a very match-by-match manager instead of somebody with a broad philosophy. But I think you raise a really interesting point that his philosophy is to stop the other team from doing what they want, which inherently will wind up being match by match because you tend to play different teams <laughs> week after week. All right, uh, we will take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
All right, Thomas, we'll start with you talking about Wolves. You kind of mentioned there right before the break that, that you're surprised that you aren't in a worse position given the, given the lack of goals. Um, but you never really felt like relegation candidates. Um, but the win that you just got takes you over the magic 36, 37 point mark, depending on who you ask about definitely being safe. I was just curious what you made of the match and if the end of it was more elation because it was an incredible goal by Adama Traore, or if it was more just like, whew, we kind of got away with whatever this season was. Yeah, I think it's much more the latter. Um, I think we've always felt like we're a resort away from being part of the relegation conversation, um, which, you know, that that's a lot of teams. That's, you know, your Crystal Palaces, um, you know, teams of, of that ilk around us, even Leeds at one point maybe, but, you know, they've always managed to stay a step ahead. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we've got away with one this season because I, I, I don't think we've been very good in a lot of the games. Um, you know, all the games in the Premier League are, are generally settled by, you know, tight margins. Um, I know Leeds have had some helter-skelter results. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I, I just think we're, we're a defence-minded team generally who didn't score many goals anyway. And then we lost Raul Jimenez. We sold Diogo Jota. We sold Matt Doherty, who I know hasn't done very well for Spurs, but he was a rich source of goals and assists for us. And the players we brought in haven't done, you know, anywhere near as good as, as, as the players that we haven't, you know, we've been without or sold. Um, so just the, through those, you know, all those factors added up, you know, I think if you'd said that to Wolves fans at the start of the season, we would have fully expected to be in and around the bottom three. Um, so it's been one of those seasons where we've just somehow cobbled together the results to stay clear of it and I just think we want to get to 38 games now and just forget this season never happened basically and just hope that we get the recruitment better in the summer and, and do better next season Gotcha. Well, I won't make you talk too much more about one of those 38 matches that just happened, though. But <laughs> congratulations on the win. And like we said, the the basic safety. Uh, you mentioned there you're just kind of ready for it to be over. This is obviously not the year that Wolves fans would have expected coming into the year. Although, like you said, the loss of Doherty was was met with a lot of uh, resistance, which is interesting considering he's been uttering complete crap. Although you can argue that he's also not actually playing his best position. Um, right back and right wing back, maybe not as identical as some thought. Um, but I was just curious if there's a sense of what you're expecting next year. Obviously, this year is so weird, especially losing Real Jimenez the way that you did. Are, are we thinking that next year it'll just be right back to in that top eight-ish pushing for European spots? Or are you thinking that maybe with some of the losses and potential coming losses that you might be more in these relegation discussions moving forward? The honest answer is I have absolutely no idea. I think it's an important summer because we, this is going to tell us a lot about what our owners are about and what they're trying to do. Um, I, I've got this horrible feeling that I know, you know, other fans will roll their eyes at this because they know it already, that we're, you know, we're George Mendes FC and um, it's about the players he chooses to bring in and the players he chooses to send out because his fingerprints are over 100% of our transfer activity now. There isn't a deal done at Wolves that isn't either, you know, directly a, a George Mendes player or someone that he he's able to manipulate in and out of a club. So I just hope that the, the dealings we do, uh, you know, are better than what we did last summer. Last summer, we spent 50, 60, 70 million on potential. We bought in Samedo, who was the only real proven player, and he hasn't been very good um, in terms of his output anyway, uh, you know, attacking and defensive. So... So it's been very tough. I, I, I couldn't say. I mean, the, the hope is that we'll bring in three or four 
quality players and, and we'll be back to where we were in the top half trying to get into those European places you know pushing the outskirts of the top six but if you get it even slightly wrong then you, you very quickly can become part of that that conversation but based on the the fact that we we've hardly scored any goals this season I don't think we can score less next season and I think we've still got the nucleus of a decent side uh, we've got the, you know the spine of a, a good you know a good team. I think Patricio and your Bollies, your Neves, your, your Jimenez, Traore and Netos. You know, if we if we keep the nucleus of that team and add to it, then I don't think there's any reason we can't be in the top half. Um, because I think you know there, there's more to come from from the squad we've got. But it's um, my theory is that we're going to sell Adama Traore. He's refused to sign a contract, and he's kind of a bit of an insurance policy. I know his output hasn't been brilliant this season. Um, but I think the numbers sort of belie how important he is to us. Um, so I think if we were to lose him and, and not replace him, and, and you know, and then Jimenez perhaps doesn't get back to the level he has before, which is you know not unlikely given the severity of the injury he had. You know, we could be in a lot of trouble. So it, we're really at a, a crossroads this summer, and I think that the club can obviously intervene and, and do spend big money and, and get in serious players because we've got the connections to do that. Um, you know, I'd like to see us go to teams like Porto, Sevilla, these teams who are established Champions League clubs and, and buy some of their players, you know, and I know that sounds almost madness, you know, coming from a team that finished in the bottom half of the Premier League, but we've shown in the past that we've got the connections to prize good players away from good teams. And, you know, we need to do that ourselves, whereas last summer it felt like it was the good teams prying our best players away, particularly with um, with Jota going to Liverpool. So, um, so yeah, until we, we see what the, the, the makeup of the squad looks like, I, I really couldn't comment. Me personally, I would just be happy to be, you know, mid-table, um, but, you know, with a greater consistency of performance. Um, that, that would be the minimum requirement for me next season. Gotcha. And you mentioned Jimenez there. We're not going to ask you when he's coming back because we tried that, I think, the last two times you were on. And that seems to still be a question mark. But obviously, you spent a lot of money on Fabio Silva. You bring in William Jose kind of on a short-term basis. Do you think you might try to address Stryker again next year? Uh, Just because, like you said, it's hard to expect uh, Jimenez to get back to to his former self. But uh, I'm just curious what you think of that position moving forward. Yeah, well, it's it's very difficult. I mean... um... Jimenez, obviously, if he's back fit and firing, then and we only really tend to play one up front, whether it's a four-three-three or a three-four-three. Um, so you know, if he's back, he's the he's the number one choice. And then you're thinking, well, you know, Fabio Silva is was brought in to become a good player over the next two to three seasons. Uh, there are signs that he's sort of shaping up a bit better. He scored a great goal against West Ham. He made the assist for Traore's goal against Fulham. You know his, his numbers are increasing, um, so that there's there's perhaps a sense that maybe there's been talk that we might bring in Willian Jose on a reduced terms deal because he hasn't performed that well. Um, so if you had the three of them, uh, I think you you've got the makings of a, you know good depth there. Um, but without Raúl, uh, you, you'd be looking to bring someone in of more proven caliber. There's a lack of pace um, with all those three players. So personally, I would like to see to have someone in the ranks who could play centrally and also get through the middle. Um, it was interesting that Nuno pushed Adama through the middle against Fulham for the second half. And um, obviously that culminated in a, you know, an explosive result, uh, you know, in his first goal of the season. Um, so maybe that's a tactic he'll look to pursue more next season if Adama's still at the club. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if Raul's fit and they sign Willian Jose, I think that will be that. Um, but they've, they've got a decision to make there. I think they they put a lot of trust and faith in Fabio, so I think he'll be it. He'll be there. So it'll just really be a case of if they sign Willian Jose or not, uh, you know, and where, what their view is on on what Raul's doing. But I think they have every intention that Raul is going to come back. And he's going to be an important player next season. So um, I think with the three of them, I, I don't think that would be an area of the, the the side that they're looking to improve. Gotcha. All right, uh, we'll come to you now, John, to talk about Leeds. Start off, congratulations against Manchester City. Although, interestingly, Bielsa said that he didn't beat Guardiola, despite obviously getting the result with that late winner. Uh, what did you make of the match on the whole and, the, and that Bielsa comment in particular? Yeah, so in terms of the game itself, yeah, it was obviously as a fan one of those great games where you you pull off a result against a team as good as Manchester City. As a Spurs fan, you'll have experienced that feeling before. Mm. Um, very much, Leeds were were sitting very deep for Leeds. Usually, a team who presses high and uh, is uh, and play quite expansive football and try and decompress, get forward, and um, and harry our positions and. You know, it, this very much comes down to we created two chances and scored them both um, against a team who, although I would say we did defend well, uh, we did keep them up from creating really good chances in the six-yard box, etc. Um, we we did uh, concede 27 shots, um, which, you know, it's, it's one of those outlier games. Um, but that's how you beat teams as good as Manchester City, I suppose. So in that respect, it was it was it was a fun game, and um, I, I guess we sort of file it in that once in a generation, uh, Minnow beats a, a massive club um, category. In terms of Marcelo Bielsa, he loves to make cryptic remarks after matches, <laughs> um, partly because he's coming through a translator, and for some reason, Argent- Argentinian Spanish seems to translate really esoterically. Uh, but yeah, there was he made some comment about how they Leeds deserved to win, but they also didn't deserve to win. So I think that the general <laughs> gist of what I could see was that um, he he was saying that if you look at the the chances created, obviously uh, Manchester City created more and better chances and um but he was saying i think that the in terms of the 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 passion and desire of the players the knuckling down after going down to 10 men and uh, retaining the concentration and and putting the putting the effort in to to get that result was was down to them and in that respect leads deserve to deserve the win uh, as much as anything so yeah it was a really good game um uh, we've got a really sort of rough, rough patch of, of fixtures coming up. So we've got City, Liverpool next weekend, and then Manchester United the weekend after. So for many of us, you know, April was the cruelest month in many respects. But it's it's actually turned around um, with you know with a when you start that run off with the three points against Manchester City, you'll take anything that comes after that. I think so. Been it's been an excellent season. We're in a really good position, and I think Leeds fans now are just looking forward to the summer to maybe really are quite weak in uh, but it's, it's been a fantastic season yeah certainly uh not really been in the relegation conversation at any point and you're just like thomas certainly going to be safe and in the premier league next year um i wanted to talk to you a little bit about Stuart dallas who is quickly becoming a fantasy legend uh in his own right <laughs> part of the reason for that not just because of the performances but because he plays basically any opportunity given because he leads leads Sorry, um, <laughs> in minutes played. Um, and he's played in five different positions, I counted, to start matches. 
with one in attacking midfield being the one that people might not be expecting. Just curious from you how important he is in terms of his own abilities and how important his flexibility is to Leeds at large. Yeah, he's an interesting character, Stuart Dallas. First and foremost, he's just a brilliant guy, which I think we don't, we certainly don't on our channel talk about enough because we focus on tactics and stats. And so we can be quite dispassionate about things, but he's a, an absolutely fantastic guy. And uh, I think everyone at the club is just happy to see him performing as well as he is and, and getting the recognition that he deserves. But the story of Stuart Dallas is is, is very odd. We, we got him from Brentford um, when we had Uwe Rosler at the, at the club. Um, and he was a sort of bit part player. We, we signed him as, as, as pretty much a right winger, I think, at first. Um, and then under Bielsa, he's played on the left and... And, and also a left back, which was the position that I think we liked him in the most um, in the seasons in the championship. Added quite a bit to us there. But this season, actually, we've we've reinvented him somewhat. We obviously play a really high-pressing uh, football and and we've just not really had the personnel to be able to do that very well this season. So we we saw, I mentioned already, those games where um, we had that 6-2 loss to, uh, to Manchester United. We had a 3-0 3-1 loss, sorry, to, to Chelsea. And in those games, we were just getting absolutely hammered through the centre because our press wasn't up to it. Uh, and so as a result of that, Marcelo Bielsa has moved Stuart Dallas inside and um, we're, we're quite famous for playing a, a man-marking system. So uh, our players are ori orientated towards um, men rather than zones. And um, bringing Dallas into the middle, we've we've actually introduced a bit, a bit more of a zonal element to our midfield. So Dallas is a little bit more of a kind of sweeper in the middle and and will help out with his teammates doubling up on um, danger men for the opposition. And he'll also, he'll also sort of sit, maybe sit a little bit deeper. And if opposition centre-backs can drive forward, um, then, then he can drop in and help out with those as well. I mean, we've struggled with that a lot in... in all of the seasons we've been under Bielsa, that that sort of ability for centre backs to uh, move the ball around and 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 get into space and drive forward. And John Stones yesterday, I think he put up 863 yards of progressive uh, carries. So wow. picking up the ball and dribbling, which is incredible. I mean, to put that in context, I think in the Liverpool game against Villa yesterday, I think it was there was something like 464 progressive carries by everyone on the pitch during the game. <laughs> so so you're you're talking like double that. Um, so that's a that's definitely a, a problem we face. And so Stuart Dallas has really been brought into to, I guess, solve those problems. And he's been a revelation this season. We we were quite quite critical on our channel of the times last season when he played in central midfield, but we were playing a very different kind of football last year because we were dominating games like Manchester City, uh, dominate games in the Premier League, um, obviously a division down. And so uh, we were always quite critical of his ability to retain possession and, and to be creative enough to, to generate chances. But this season, with the boot on the other foot and us being in a more defensive mode more often he's been a real revelation there. and he's scored goals for us um everyone likes to talk about the fact that he's got the, i think he's got the highest number of goals from outside the box um in the premier league this season i think if you look at those chances you'll you'll maybe um overlook that stat a little bit more but he's got important goals and important games and um for, yeah he's just done everything that we've needed really in a central midfielder so uh, it's great seeing him getting his time in the limelight Gotcha. And then on the other hand, you mentioned uh, him scoring goals that you've needed him to. Uh, a little bit less so from Bamford lately, just one goal in the last six. I was just curious if you think that's a him thing, a creation behind him thing? Yeah, Bamford, he got injured just before the international break. Um, and I think 
a lot of that kind of got brushed over. Part of the reason I think he didn't get selected for England was that he had this sort of recurring thigh injury that, that he was carrying. And yeah, he's, I mean, Bamford, the thing with Bamford is that he's not in our team necessarily to score goals. So much of what he does is one, the press from the front. Mm. Um, there's there's very few strikers, I think, who could press as well as he does for us. Uh, he's also a really great hold-up player. And, um, you, you know, he just the system just works so well for him. Um, he, he holds the ball up well. He interchanges well with, with our very fluid midfield as well. So I, I've had no worries about Bamford. But then I had no worries about Bamford when he was in the Championship. And a lot of Leeds fans didn't like him because he was missing a lot of sitters. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different division. We're in a different sort of scenario. Um, and things haven't fallen to him but he's he's very much a streaky striker as well he will he'll get a few runs of a few goals and then he'll he'll be quiet for a few weeks so um yeah no no worries necessarily with him there and also we brought him off quite early in the game yesterday because we were down to 10 men and we were mm. we were looking just to sit deep and then and uh, just sort of break out at, at speed and you would m- much rather have Tyler Roberts um playing as a sort of um false striker there than than Bamford so he was just a little bit unlucky there as well with with the way things transpired but yeah no worries for me for Pat Bamford Gotcha. And for anybody that is listening for fantasy advice, which we don't really do on the show anymore, um, uh, you mentioned that one of the things about Bielsa is that he'll stick by his players regardless of what's going on. So I assume no worries that Bamford would be dropped anytime soon for like Rodrigo or anything like that. No, absolutely not. Rodrigo has been has been quite poor for us this season, so I don't think there's any danger of, of him coming back in anytime soon. And Rodrigo's actually injured at the moment anyway. Minor minor injuries have niggled mm. him throughout the, the season. So, yeah, no one comes close to Bamford, so keep him in your fantasy team and I'm sure <laughs> he'll give you some good returns. Awesome. Well, we'll go from there right into Player Watch, which seems quite fitting. And I wanted to talk to you guys about a player at your club that's maybe been a disappointment this year as opposed to what you would have hoped coming into the season. Yeah, I think for me, I'm, I'm going to pick Nelson Semedo. Um, it's one of those things where it's expectations against delivery. Um, you know, he he was brought in for mega money. The idea was that we we'd done smart business because we sold Matt Doherty for twenty odd million to Tottenham, and we we you know pride Nelson Semedo, who was Barcelona's first choice fullback, although he was just coming in off that horrendous performance against Bayern Munich, where he was uh, singled out for. A lot of uh, abuse for his performance against Alfonso Davis in that in that match, but um, you know it was, it was the fact that we pried a player away from Barcelona. You know they were looking to to raise some money. It looked like we got a good deal and a good player, and he seemed like he should fit our system. You know a lot of pace at wing back, a player who can get forward, very comfortable on the ball. Um, so I was expecting a hell of a lot more. Um, he he struggled badly defensively. He's cost us goals, given away clumsy penalties, had terrible moments. Um, and uh, but the most disappointing thing for me is his lack of attacking output. I think he's got one assist from a cross he put over against Brighton. Uh, but when you compare that to what Matt Doherty was giving us, which was routinely five goals and seven or eight assists, and again I go back to the point that Wolves don't score a lot of goals anyway. So we we just couldn't we couldn't afford to to take you know those contributions out and replace with a player who's just simply not done it and and, and not really been an upgrade defensively on Doherty. Um, so he, he's undoubtedly been the biggest disappointment. I think he's improved as the season's gone on. Um, I think he had a, he played well against Fulham, uh, looked much more robust defensively, um, and he's spoken himself about about the need to, you know, man up, beef up a bit. I suppose is the, is the right term to use, and, and recognises that the Premier League is very different to La Liga, and you know, next season hopefully he'll be better for the experience he's had this season. 
Um, but but undoubtedly, I, I think you you would have to say that he he's the, the biggest disappointment. Um, maybe Fabio Silva as well because I think he's got three goals, thirty five million. You know, you know, we we knew we were investing in potential, but for thirty five million, you'd want a player who's probably you know, going to have a bigger immediate impact, even though he's, he's obviously very young. So it just it goes back to the point I made. Our, our recruitment last season, you know, last summer just, just wasn't good enough. And, um, you know, those players just haven't been able to improve the team, which is which is why we've seen such a deterioration in results and, and ultimately our league position. Yeah, for me, there's probably two candidates here. We've already mentioned one of them. I'll start with the other one, um, who is Gianni Alioski. And I feel bad saying that because... Um, Gianni Alioski is, is is sort of, again, another player like Stuart Dallas who is playing, quote-unquote, out of position. Um, Gianni Alioski was someone who was brought in to play, again, I think maybe on the right, uh, on, in, the four, in the front three um, or a, as a winger um, and has ended up dropping into a left-back position. Um, and we've known that he isn't up to scratch before we got into the Premier League. Uh, and I guess a lot of his um, his, fa- his, his uh, frailties as a, a player have been shown up in the Premier League. So I feel a, a little bad highlighting him in particular. But <clears throat> uh, uh, we, we, know, we knew that that was the case. Um, we brought him in. Uh, well, well, sorry, we're going to replace him this summer. And so um, in that respect, everything there will be sorted out. But so the other player that I will talk about is, is Rodrigo, who I mentioned before. Um, in many respects, I was quite critical of this as a signing at first. He was, a, I, mean, I think he was 28 at the time. He's now just turned 30. Um, and um, he is a player who has, in the last few in, uh, seasons, struggled with injury. Um, and so you, you've got this sort of strange scenario where you're bringing an ageing player with injury problems and um, you're expecting him to start playing in a in a system that is one of the highest energy, highest pressing systems in in european football and unsurprisingly it hasn't worked out particularly well and so i think it's, it's a really interesting scenario with rodrigo because i think the fan base because we've been starved of you know marquee signings like that for so long when you bring someone in who's a, a record signing at the club you expect them to play regularly and to play well and there have been good games where he has played well but usually those games are uh, games where we haven't really needed to engage the press too stringently so there's been games against Newcastle uh, games against Aston Villa where he looked quite good but there's also been plenty of games where the he's the press has just broken down around him uh, and it just leaves us so open to to um opposition and attack that it, it's become quite frustrating and then when you add to that fact that he's been in and, in and out with injuries um he had covid for a bit which obviously is not his fault but when you add that all together it really isn't the sort of output that you would want from a player that you're spending that amount of money on uh, and so I, I think i would put that down as a, a sort of general disappointment all around all right, and we will wrap up with match previews. John, you mentioned you're in the middle of a pretty rough run. Here's another one with you hosting Liverpool. What do you expect from this one? It's a really tough game to read, isn't it? I mean, Liverpool was the first game that we played in our return to the Premier League, and we put that f- famous 4-3 loss up, and everyone was excited about Leeds and and wondered whether or not they were going to be great. But then, weirdly, the, the takeaway from that should probably have been that Liverpool went up to the sort of scratch that we thought that they were going to be. Um, we are now, you know, whatever, whatever it is, six months later, and it's still really hard to get a read on how good Liverpool are. Uh, they obviously have uh, players in their squad who can cause damage to anyone in the Premier League. Um, and I, I'm I'm going to be fascinated to see how this one 
uh, unfolds. In terms of the the game plan plan that we will play, I guess it will be similar to what we did against City, maybe not quite so negative, but we'll be looking to get in behind them like we did a little bit against City in the first half. Um, they obviously play that famous high line, which is cri- often criticised by by the media, but um, obviously gets them their upside in in attacking situations as well. So, yeah, it will be very much, I think, a, a case of how well Leeds can keep Liverpool out. Their, their front three is uh, obviously a, a scary proposition. And then it will be a question of whether or not we can get the ball through their press and, and get it into dangerous areas in behind uh, in their fullback areas. So, yeah, it'll be a, a game that will be fun, I think, for us, especially given that we have just beaten City. There'll be a little less worry about maybe getting three points here and hopefully we can just keep all of our players on the field and give them a pretty good run for their money. Yeah, I'm assuming this is one that neutrals will want to turn in for, but uh, we'll certainly see. And then uh, we'll finish up with you, Thomas, talking about Wolves. You're going to be hosting Sheffield United, who just got beaten 3-0 by Arsenal as we were recording. I assume you're looking at this as another opportunity to pick up three points? Yes, I think so. Um, I don't think this will be one that the neutrals will be tuning into, though, I've got to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but... Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I would, I would hope we can win. Um, I hope that Nuno might experiment a little bit. Um, we've got a couple of young players on the bench, Vitinha and Otisawi, who I think can can potentially solve some problems for him. Because I think the, the main problem Wolves have got is they haven't got enough power and mobility, legs in midfield and uh, and, and defence, but particularly in midfield. Um and, you know, we've got Otisari who's a young guy, but he's he, he's much more athletic. He can get up and down the pitch. So I'd, I'd like to see him get a proper game. Um, and maybe Vitinha, because he's been so good for the Portuguese under-21s team, you know, is possible replacement for Vitinha long-term. So I think now we're pretty much safe. And we've got, I think in the games coming up, we've got Sheffield United, Brighton, Burnley, West Brom. So we've, we've got chances to... To, to really pump up our points tally and get up towards 50 points, which would still represent a pretty good season for us, I think. Um, so I hope we do that. Um, you know, seeing how Sheffield United, you know, fall the, the typical team at the bottom who, you know, that know they're going down. They're competitive in matches up to a point, but if you can get on top of them, they just tend to wilt and fall apart. So I'm just hoping that we can put in a more cohesive performance, get ahead in a game, because there's that horrible statistic going around that we've, we've conceded the first goal in like 19 of our matches, which is a crazy statistic for a team that's not in the bottom three. Um, so we need to try and get the first goal, get a foothold in the game, and hopefully go from there and make it make it back-to-back wins, which would be um, which would be some nice respite in a, in a difficult season. Gotcha. So you heard it here first. Watch Leeds Liverpool. Maybe not. We'll Sheffield United. Uh, but thanks to you two so much for coming on today. If you'd like to tell the folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Thanks for having me on again, guys. Yeah, you can just always get me uh, at wolvesblog.com. There's always previews and, and reports for everything that's going on in Wolves, occasional opinion pieces too, lots of great comments from different contributors. So if you're, if you're playing Wolves, or you're a Wolves fan yourself, um, yeah, get on there and check it out. Uh, you can also send me a tweet at Wolves blog or check out our Facebook page, which is just facebook.com forward slash Wolves blog. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. It's uh, all Leeds stuff on our site. So if you fancy learning a little bit more about Marcelo Bielsa's tactics or learning about some of the things that our players are up to at the moment, then head over to All Stats Aren't We on Twitter uh, and you'll find everything you need to find there.
Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter, as well as on all of the podcasting apps. So go listen to it. You already are, so not really sure why I'm telling you to do it now, but good job. You have successfully listened to it and found it. So <laughs> at EPL Roundtable is a thing that you probably use to do so. Uh, anyway, thanks to you two so much for coming on today. It was a pleasure as always. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.